Good evening. We've spent the better part of several months discussing Bible virtues, and they've come out of a collection that I had. And uh, where's Linda at tonight? She's not here. Wow. Did I? Did we say that? Did I miss that? I got gotcha. you. Ah, that's not good. Well, we've spent the better part of uh, our lessons talking about Bible virtues, and I had a collection of things that I've sort of worked us through, but uh, a few weeks back, we were to cover, it was said to be love, and it was sometime three or three weeks ago, and I thought, I'm going to set that one aside, and we'll save that one for the week leading to Christmas. I thought it would work pretty well there, so we've talked about um, perseverance and courage and a few other things over the last few weeks, but I thought tonight that we would talk about instead, uh, we, we got a little bit out of order, and we're going to talk about love. There are four more after uh, this one, and we'll cover all of those, and I've already, <clears throat> feel like you're sort of in the teaching mode, you're always planning ahead, but uh, I, I think what we're going to study next on our Wednesday night classes is uh, miracles of Jesus. I think we might do something with that. I'm not really dove into it exactly, but I kind of have a working guide of some things I want to go through, and so I, I think we'll do... Uh, something like that. So um, don't you be doing that on Sunday morning or anything. All right? I, mean, I, I can already see in Ben's head. It's like, well, I'll start teaching that a week before and blow it all up. So. But anyway, uh, that, that'll, be, uh, that'll probably be in, uh, I don't know, that'll, that'll be March maybe when we do that because I think we're going to take a, you're going to do a little bit uh, in, in February. This is in Philadelphia, uh, not Philadelphia, the town uh, in uh, one of the seven churches, but Philadelphia in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a famous statue. There are numerous versions of this statue in other places as well. Uh, there's even one in France that is spelled amour uh, rather than love. Uh, but you can take this uh, and, and rearrange it, but it is a, uh, <clears throat> a statue. Uh, in Philadelphia, there's a reason it's in Philadelphia. You might know why there's a statue, a love statue in Philadelphia. Yeah, it is. It's called the City of Brotherly Love, but if you take the, the Philos and the Delphos, or uh, take both of those, then uh, uh, in, in the Greek, then you can see where the term comes from. That same term comes from, uh, you see that in Revelation, there were seven, uh, the seven churches, and it was one of those as well. All of those churches were in modern-day Turkey. I don't know if there's a love statue. Is that the city of Philadelphia is still in Turkey? I know some of those seven churches of Asia, those communities don't really exist anymore. Some of them do, you know? I don't have to go back to look Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. But but anyway, Philadelphia is a Greek term and it was in the, in, in the church in Asia. But anyway, we're going to talk about uh, love uh, here this evening. And we're going to be all over the place. I think all of the scriptures will be on the screen. Uh, but if you want to get your Bible out, you'll be flipping around a lot because we're not really going to be focused on one specific thing until the very end. And then we're going to have uh, a one story of love that's there as well. I hope the fonts are the right size and really fuss to be there. Not fuss, but she said, I didn't need the fuss. She said everything up there uh, shows up pretty good to her. So I was a little worried. But it's easier said when you're in the front of the room. I, my back row people got to tell me that same thing as well. So uh, uh, they can see. So. <coughs> Connie, you tell us that the night, so I know there's something wrong right there uh, on that. <coughs> love is found throughout the scriptures. There's no way to narrow it down to any particular verses, but there's a handful that we can look at here. Love in the Old Testament. 
Genesis 20, verse 13, it came to pass, and God, God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, this is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go, say of me, he is my brother. We talked about that sign there being this notion of brotherly love, and we have that same type of love that we share toward our siblings and family and relatives as well. Psalm 17 and 7, show your marvelous loving kindness by your writing, and know you who save those who trust in you from those who rise up against them. Proverbs 3, verses 3 and 4, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. On the New Testament side, Matthew 22, 37 through 39, Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. And we had a series of lessons that we dealt with that a while back and how that it's uh, sometimes difficult to love the neighbor as we love ourselves. Luke 6 and verse 32, but if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love, uh, love them. And that's a challenge to us as well. It's easy, you know, if you come up and tell me every single day that you love me, it's easy for me to say that I love you, but sometimes that challenge is difficult for those that we maybe don't always see eye-to-eye -eye with or we have some conflict with over the course of our time. In John 3, 16, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And so a handful of verses that we're all very familiar with. It's going to be set up similar to this tonight. I don't have a ton of questions necessarily, and so I'm open for comments and suggestions, thoughts and opinions from you as well. I do have a few things here and there, but each one of these you're going to notice we ask the, we're not really asked the question, we make the statement, why love is greatest. And then below that, there's a different sort of uh, sentence or statement that'll go with it, and then to the right, we'll have a handful of verses that we'll look at as well. And again, I've got a few, po I've got a few points, but I hope uh, that it can kind of come uh, from you uh, even more so than me. The first one, <clears throat> why love is the greatest. Well, love will exist in heaven, whereas faith and hope will cease to exist. You know, we, we've talked a little bit about this before, so I don't think I'm breaking new ground for you here. But by the same token, you know, we, we, what Ben read there just a moment ago, that faith, hope, and love, right? We, we, we have a hard time sort of separating the three. They almost go hand in hand. And it's almost difficult for us to realize that there's only need for one of those in heaven. There's not a need for the other two. So let's think about what those other two are for just a second. The first verse there, Hebrews chapter 11 uh, and verse 1. Lucille, do you care to read Hebrews 11 and verse 1? Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, or the evidence of things not seen. Now I'm guessing that if you've been to church more than four times in your life, you've probably heard this verse. And if you've been to church your whole life, you've probably heard it 4,000 times. And you're probably somewhere in the continuum right there. But faith as a description, when we talked about faith as a Bible virtue a few weeks back, faith is a really difficult thing to define because faith is not a hardened, handheld sort of substance. There has to be some sort of belief that goes into it. This verse here in Hebrews chapter 11, it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But when we read that, the thing that we see there, or the thing that we see, is what we don't actually see. And so when we think about love existing in heaven, but faith and hope not, 
Why is there no need for faith in heaven? Because you'll have the proof record will be in There's no longer a evidence of things not seen when there is something that's actually seen, right? You know, all of these places that we maybe go on a vacation or something like that, when we arrive there, we can see those things sort of for ourselves. And we know that they're there, and I've seen pictures, and I know people that have went, but I get to experience it for myself. But that faith, that heaven, doesn't exist for me while I'm on earth. It won't exist until I've passed on. And I don't know when that date's going to be. It's going to be for everybody, but I don't know when that date is actually going to hit. And so <clears throat> that faith ends in sight, right? Faith ends in sight. Well, what about the other one then? What about hope? Well, hope, I think, was the Bible virtue a few weeks back uh, as well. But when we think about hope, hope stops with realization. So realization eliminates hope, right? And this can be a negative and a positive. We've known people that have been facing very difficult challenges, and hope is now all we have. And but then there's sooner or not, sooner or later there's a realization that this person cannot get well from what their illness is. It, it might be something like that. But that hope is also something that we can sort of hold on to, that we know that it's there. Why is hope so important for us? On this earth. To me, it gives you a reason to go on. It does. We talked a little bit about that a few weeks back as well. So for faith and hope, they are things that are absolutely necessary here on earth, but they are not at all necessary once we cease to exist, right? So if we say faith, hope, and love, and we eliminate two, what do we have left? Love. So let's look at that verse there, 1 John chapter 3. In verse 2, where you could read that. First John 3 and 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Okay, so that verse sort of works here with this. It kind of works with the faith. It kind of works with the hope that we are now children of God. So we sort of locked ourselves into that spot, and it's not yet been revealed what we shall be. Have you ever thought about that? What do I look like when I'm in heaven? Have you ever thought about that? I hope I'm prettier. All right, you know? I hope all the other are ugly and I'm prettier. That way I'll be right up here. You know how that works? So, but it's not really been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when it's revealed, we shall be what? One of the hardest things for us to think about is we're told in the Bible that man is made in God's image. But what does that mean? That is an absolutely indescribable thing. Because image means different things to different people. And so what I say, if someone is made like God's image, and what you say might be totally different and both exactly right. Does that make sense? It's really hard to do to describe that. But it says, what we do know is that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Okay? And so I don't know what that him is going to be like, but I know that I'm going to be like him. Is that enough? Yeah, that's right. I think so. I think so. But we might say, well, what about the faith? Well, we don't have to have the faith in the hope. Because whatever I'm going to turn out to be, that's what I'm going to turn out to be. If we're all going to look like a book, or if we're all going to look like a 
two-year-old thought, what are we going to look like? That's fine, because right here, we're going to be like him. You know? and, 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 and we're debating a matter that doesn't really matter at all. For we shall see him as he is, and we will be like that. Yes. The Bible addresses that whenever he tells us that we will be joint heirs, just like children of God, uh-huh. just like Jesus is. We will, and basically what the Bible says, you'll be standing side by side with Jesus in heaven. That is your reward. Right. You know, you'll see he's going to be like you. You're going to be like him. It don't seem possible. Right. But because of the sacrifice we made, that is possible. We will be returned to our Father who made us in his image. And whatever that image is, it will be perfect. And we'll stand shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. Mm-hmm. That does not seem possible, but it's It is. It is. So, the second. Love, then, is the one thing from which faith and hope spring, right? That it comes from right there. Because if love is sort of this existing thing, and faith and hope are these sort of sort of grasped at type things, well then let's look at a couple of verses here. The first one, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7. And that you to read the one there on the top. And we've saw that what Ben read there a little while ago up in front there. This is verse verses, six verses ahead of it. But it says that it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all. What do those four descriptors mean? Bears means to put up with all the things that you have to put up with. Uh-huh. Believes all things. You believe the very best of you know, you know, whenever somebody does something bad, well, they're not being persuaded, they're just going through a rough time. Right. I mean, you believe fully in the scriptures and God's promises and the goodness of people. We struggle with that, believes all things. I talked about that a little bit on Sunday mornings. We struggle with that sometimes because when bad things happen to us, we find it difficult to believe that this is actually a good thing, right? Or that I can grow from this or I can emerge from this. But bears all things, believes all things, hopes. And then endures. What well, is endures all things? Right? Put up with. Life is an endurance race. Right? It endures, it lasts. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't just put up, it, it, it's a continual right. lasting thing. I, I never read that or hear it read, but I don't think of our Aunt Blanche. She was a personification of Corinthians 13. Uh huh. Somebody, and, and you probably all have people in your lives that were terrific people that had. Everything around him was wrong, or was bad, or went wrong, or difficulties, or whatever it might be. You probably have all of those, but you may know people that are like that. Settle down, generally. All right. The second one, then. The second one. Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. We said faith and hope spring from love. Do you only care to read Romans 10 and 17? So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So our faith comes from hearing and studying and, and, and learning about it. But it's going to be difficult to have faith if you have no concept of what you have faith in, right? There are things that you might not have faith in, and it may be because you don't have any clue about what it actually is. People have this kind of thing all the time. But we, our faith in the word of God comes from hearing. So how do we strengthen our faith? But there has to be, if love is the one thing for which faith and hope come from, 
then there has to be a desire, a love of the Word of God to want to study and grow and learn more about it. They all go hand. So a minute ago we split them, but now we almost put them back together hand in hand. Yes. You know, I think about this. I, I can't help but think of soldiers in World War II. They signed up at World War I. They signed up for the draft when they turned 18 years old. And when they would sign up, it would say branch and material. They don't, you don't <laughs> get to pick which one right. you want to be in Navy or Air Force or whatever. And, and it said for duration of war. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was bad. That's a good question. And so <coughs> there were boys in Europe fighting the Germans or whatever. And dreaming and hoping and Faithful, I could go back home to where I'm loved and people aren't trying to kill me. Right. There's also people in the same war that's shining shoes. I'm doing some little trivial, but sure. not in any danger whatsoever. Just to sure. kind of things. But right. that's the way this life is. There's people in this life. We're faith, we're faith, we're, we have faith and we have hope that we'll get to go back home to heaven one of these days. Some of us are going to have a pretty good ride. Other people are going to have a really rough time. And some people's lives are going to be cut out short. And, but that's that's why the love comes in. If, if regardless of what it is, the love will carry you through, and I can get back home to write it. So I have this quote here. This is from David Lipscomb, who was a uh, one of the Reformation folks from the mid 1800s, a little bit after uh, some of the earliest uh, Restoration, I guess, not Reformation, Restoration. But uh, it's a quote here. Uh, it says, "Faith is not an end." It says, "Faith is not an end." It is faith in the divine deliverer and in his promise of salvation. It is the means toward eternal life. Hope is not an end. It is hope of final and eternal fellowship with God. It is the means to steadfastness into heaven. But love is an end in itself. It is the bond of perfect, uh, perfectness, perfectness. Beyond this, even Christianity cannot carry as faith and hope realize their purpose when they produce love, it is obvious that the virtue, which is their final purpose, is greater than they. Right. And so when we say that love comes from hope and from faith, that's what it is. They are producing something that can go farther than they have the ability, uh, ability to go. Think of it this way. Remember when Moses wasn't able to go into the promised land? It's almost as if faith and hope can walk all the way to the edge, but love is the only thing that can sort of walk you in uh, or take you in. The third one. Love is the great underlying principle in the universe. Well, think about that for just a second. Love is an underlying principle. Well, in John, First John chapter 4 and verse 8, we read that God is love, right? And the laws of the universe manifest that all of this is the outgrowth of his love. And so we have all of these sort of interactions, all of these things that we come in contact with. Let me give you an example here. The first verse that's up there is Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Matthew 7 uh, and verse 12. Uh, I mean, you care to read the first verse up there. Now, I want you to all look at that verse again. Matthew 7 and verse 12. This is uh, toward the end of Jesus speaking at the sermon on the, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And it says, Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, we have a title and a rearranging of this verse that we teach kids from the very beginning. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of the golden rule. 
How many of us are familiar with the golden rule? Can you make the golden rule in fewer words than what Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 12? What is the golden rule? Do it others as you would have them do it you. Why do we teach that to our littlest of kids? Why do we teach that in kindergarten? Why do we teach that in preschool? So they know how to treat people. Their hope is, is that however I would want to be treated, that's how I would need to treat other folks as well. Now, you can teach that anywhere in the world, and you don't have to mention Jesus' name at all when you teach that. In fact, almost any religion in the world not Christian would teach something that would be almost word for word the exact same. But that teaching there, this quote here, comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Why do you think it's so important that we as Christians sort of remember this teaching of Jesus as well? The same way Hebrews 1 says that faith is the foundation that hope is built on so that we can also. Love is the foundation of everything in the Bible is based on. <coughs> Without that foundation, everything falls apart. Right. And so it has to be built on this. And so this underlying principle, we think about like a foundation or we think about a rock that it would be built upon. And you know, we, we sing a little song as the wives would build his house upon the rock and when the storm hit, what happened? It stood. It stood. But when it stood, built it on the sand, what happened? It fell flat, right? Well, it's that, if you don't have that good foundation, well, that underlying principle is right here that they're going to treat others the way that they should be treated. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43. This is going to skip ahead, uh, excuse me, skip back uh, to uh, what Jesus had been talking about beforehand. This is, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, this is entitled, Love or Enemies, right? Well, this is the hardest part. This is the challenging part of that underlying principle because we can sort of root out or we can sort of undermine our foundation by choosing not to love Certain people. Think about it that way for just a second, okay? If this foundation is around your house, however big your house is, and the part that's holding up the back corner, which is where the bedroom is, if that part that holds up the back corner says, I don't really like this bedroom, I'm not going to work this hard. Now bear with me for a second. What's going to happen to the foundation? It's going to sag. And he's like, that'll be all right. The, the kitchen or the kitchen and the living room, the other bedroom, they'll be fine, right? Now watch the house when one part of the foundation starts to sink. The whole thing comes undone, right? So it's just this one little bit back there in the corner. But when somebody has a foundation problem, how quick do they call somebody to fix it? You got to call them quick. Because what if you don't? You got a disastrous problem. So if we got a love problem and we don't fix it, what's going to happen to our Christianity? It's going to fall. Jesus talked about it. Matthew 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, this is when Jesus would say, you've heard it said, he was quoting things that people had sort of taken as tradition that weren't necessarily in the law. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. <clears throat> Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So the point of this is, is that that love has to be that underlying principle that sort of holds everything up. It can't hold up part, 
and has to hold up all. And it's easy to hold up, like you said, it's easy to hold up those that love you, right? That's real easy to do. But it's not as easy to hold up those that don't. But when the house comes crumbling down, it's not usually a whole bunch of things that happen. It's usually one little thing that started a chain reaction of other things. And we have to think about that when we think about love being this great underlying principle. You know the song, Come Let Us All Unite to Sing? God is love. we got to keep that in mind, right? Because God says right here, the sun rises on the evil just like it rises on the good. Yeah. God loves them just much as, it, much as he loves us. we got to love right back. Thoughts on that before we go to the next one? Do we spend too much time trying to fix somebody else? Trying to fix others? Fix? That's all we ever do. All we seem to ever do. Why love is greatest? Well, God's word is love. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 19 right there. Uh, Connie, do you care to read that one? That makes it a little easier, right? Sometimes it's nice to have a little bit of a kickstart on some things, right? And if somebody, you know, if somebody loves us and it's easier for us to maybe sort of care about and love them back just a little bit more. And so we love because he first loved us. But now we also do it because what we see there in John 14 and verse 15. Mary, do you, do you care to read that? So he's loved us first. And so if there's a love toward us, there has to be like a follow-up, right? We, we got to reciprocate. But he doesn't say if you love, you know, we love him because he first loved us. If you love me, give me a hug, right? That's not what it says right there, right? It says if you love me, John 14, 15, do what? Keep my commandments. So there's a stipulation, there's a requirement, there's a necessity for us that we have to keep his commandments. Well, what commandments? All, which is hard, right? That Jesus was even questioned about that. So what's the most important command? Why did they ask Jesus that? Kind of wanted to test him. Kind of wanted, but they really wanted Jesus to say, well, this is number one, and this is number two, and this is number ten. You know, it's like a ranking in football. Well, whoever's ranked number one is good, number two is good. But now about ten, we beat them. We, 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 well, if we rank the Ten Commandments or the Twenty Commandments or whatever commandment that was given to us, if we try to rank them, we're going to go here or there. But Jesus said what? How did Jesus respond to the question, what's the greatest commandment? Love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. Right? On which hangs the whole law, right? Well, it's difficult, right? The first part, well, I know you love God. I know that, but then... So, so that's a good answer for number one. That's all time number one. But what's number two then? <clears throat> Love your neighbor as yourself, which does not seem like what the right answer would be. That's why it was given. And so almost immediately we're sort of faced with that challenge. But that comes straight out of John chapter 14. That comes straight from the mouth of Jesus. That comes from the Word of God. Thoughts? <laughs> right. And uh, that, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's saying to us. Do what, if we do what Jesus tells us, 
you know, heaven will be our home. Okay? If we fail to heed his commandments, then we will miss heaven. Right. And we'll have only ourselves to blame because we did not do what he asked us to do. And Daniel, too, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, if we choose to just not keep the commandments and do what we want to do and have our way, then that means we love ourselves more than we love God. There's an action in that verse right there, right? Well, if, if, if you love me, keep my keeping is an action. Some of y'all are really good. <laughs> right? Some of y'all keep everything. That's an action. Some of us probably wish we weren't as good at keepers uh, as other. <clears throat> but keep is an action. And love moves us to action as well. These are two verses from Psalm. Uh, who do we care to read this? is Psalm chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. So, what do you think Solomon is saying here in this couple of verses? So let's go backwards then. When Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, if the request, if the action for showing love to Christ is through keeping his commandments, then what Ben is saying right there, that, that metal, that if you're that man, you can never be put in water. You're, 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 it's, you're so hot for it, you're so on fire for it, whatever word you want to use there, that it cannot be, that it would just never it would never end. It, it would always. It, it would. It's. It's irresistible. Maybe it'd be uh, the, the word that we would use right there. That's why I said love is the fulfillment of all commandments. Because if you really love, if you truly have mastered love, love, you can't call someone. You can't hurt someone even by accident. Where you're just going to try to do your very best for that person all the time. So why is love the greatest? Then, well, it never fails. <laughs> Now think about that for a second. Look at that verse there, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. I'm sure everybody here is familiar with that. Tell me if you're here to read 1 Corinthians 13, 8. Everything that exists in our world fails, including us, right? <laughs> Everything fails. Dad has said numerous times about the truck that he has. And you've had it for, what, 20 years almost, 19 years? 
how many miles, 300,000 miles or something like that. And he's never done really anything to it. It's, more, it's been great. But at some point, you're going to go out and it's going to fail. That's right. As good as it's been. And it might be one that Toyota would put on a commercial and be so happy with it. And some of you all may have refrigerators that have lasted for 50 years or whatever. But everything will fail, right? And what we're seeing here, what Paul's writing here, is this, whether there are prophecies, what? They're going to fail. They're going to fail. And whether there are tongues, they're going to what? They're going to cease. And whether there's knowledge, it'll what? It'll vanish away. I think how much knowledge doesn't exist anymore just because it's went to the grave. Right. I like to learn about languages and things and languages that have died because there aren't enough speakers. And there are languages that exist today that there are maybe a couple hundred people that speak it. And it's going to go away because you would have to teach everything and it's going to disappear. But the one thing that won't fail, according to Paul here in 1 Corinthians, is love. Right? It's not going to fail. And so all of these things that we might put ourselves in contact with, all of these things that we might have a desire for, they're all going to fail us. But what won't? Love. And we show our love in numerous ways. But John 15, 13 right there. Leela, do you care to read John 15, 13? Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friend. So if we go back a minute ago and said, come let us all unite to sing, God is love. And God loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son. And then we read in John chapter 15 and verse 13 that greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And who is laid down? Who laid down his life for us? Jesus, right? Jesus laid down his life for us. But he says, if you love me in return, we got to do what? Keep those commandments, right? Because all of this and the thing that's present in all of them is love never failing. It's in it's the thread, the ribbon that winds itself all the way through everything. <clears throat> the last one. Turn to Matthew chapter twenty-eight. Kind of look at verses one through ten. To finish things tonight. Matthew chapter 28 verses 1 through 10. This is the very end of the first book of the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter 28, this is after Jesus has been handed over to Pilate. Jesus has been put on trial. Jesus has been mocked. Jesus has been hung on the cross. You may remember the sign that was hung up there. Uh, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Uh, this is after Jesus had died and had been buried. And there's numerous examples in the Bible of people <clears throat> who show a fantastic amount of love. But I just wanted to emphasize this one as a way to kind of finish things up tonight. <clears throat> Matthew 28, starting on verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. 
And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you in the Galilee. There you'll see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples to work. And as they went to tell, him, uh, tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, Rejoice. So they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now there's a few different examples of love that I just wanted to hit on right there as we finish up. Number one, they had watched Jesus die on the cross and seen his body laid to rest in the tomb. So they had witnessed probably something that would have been at least fairly common in their neighborhood. They would have seen somebody executed, just like they were probably seeing that fairly regularly. And Jesus' death on the cross looked a whole lot like the death of the two men that we read that were hanging right there beside him. But they were still moved to go to the tomb early Sunday morning. Why? Well, they were going to anoint, to, to, to prepare to, to fix his dead body, right? Because he had died on that Friday evening and that was leading into the Sabbath. And Saturday wasn't available for that kind of work. But it's almost as if they were almost waiting for the, uh, they were up before the alarm rang. We wanted to use a term that we would maybe use today. That they could go and anoint his dead body. Well, why? Well, was it faith? Well, if they believed what he'd said repeatedly, they probably, uh, they would have been going out to meet the risen Christ instead of going to see his dead body. But there was, faith was maybe lacking a little bit. I don't know. Hope? Well, theirs was probably as dead as the two men that Jesus saw on the road to Emmaus. That there was no hope left right there. But faith had sort of faltered and hope had ceased to exist. But why did they go early in the morning. I think it would have to be for love, right? It had to be for love. These women loved Jesus more than anything else. And they didn't know how the great stone made... You, you, you go, but it almost seems like there was no preparation, really. You know, it's like, I don't know how this stone's going to be moved, but we'll, we'll move it when we get there, right? We'll, we'll figure something out that, that, it'll, that we'll be able to get there. They didn't know how they'd get the soldiers, right? Because it's probably going to be soldiers that are guarding that. What are you going to have to do to get past them? Well, it doesn't seem like there's any preparation for that as well. But you know, sometimes when people have a love that great, they don't worry about what the obstacles are that are going to stand in the way. They don't let big rocks and tall men distract them from what their goal is going to be. Because no matter how strong the rock no matter how strong the man, just like everything else, those will fail. But the one thing that will not fail is love. When faith is weak, when hope is dead, love is the one thing that still remains. And so I would hope that we can take that. I would have faith that we can take that with us as we leave. But more than anything, take that love of Jesus with you as you go as well. If there's anything we can do for you, anyway, we can help you. We'd invite you to come while we stand in second. I heard.